It really is quite amazing being here, and I've really been looking forward to this. And uh, excuse me, I've got more technology to battle with than I know what to do with here. Um, so it's been a while since, uh, since I've stood up to speak, six months in fact, and uh, God's quite amazing, and this, this sort of stuff happens all the time, and I often feel when I come to preach that it, in my head, my, my sort of, you know, how can I get it all out? There just seems like so many goodies. And it was such a blessing this morning in worship, just knowing God's hand on me. And then um, Katie brought a word that uh, God says that it really is like a, a banquet that God's got for us. And so that, that's really helped me think that there's lots of goodies I've got to share. And, uh, you know, people have different styles when they, when they teach and preach. Um, and my style is very much to come as a father, come with all the stuff God's put in me. And uh, I'll throw out lots of goodies and nibbles and, and morsels along the way. And so some of it will be really good for you, and then others, it, it's sort of, hopefully, everyone will get a bit of something. Um, so yeah, so I really want to come along. And what I'm going to talk about today is, my title is Identity Theft. And uh, this isn't any internet thing, although it's always good to check out your online identity <laughs> and stuff like that. But there's more of our identity than just our passwords when we do the, uh, the online banking. And, and there's a there's definitely an attack on our identity. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. Um, but it is quite amazing uh, a privilege to be here. Um, you are amazing people. I bring greetings from um, Andy and Teresa, my Jan and Jan McFarlane and Matt McIndoe are down with Pete Carter, Pete and Kim Carter on the church in North Kent. Um, and it's just great to see the connection we've got with that, uh, that church there, a real heart connection as, as both leadership level uh, and also as, as a body. Um, and they're pursuing a very, very similar path to us. And it's lovely how they impart into us. And we've definitely been, uh, you know, received good stuff from them. But it's equally impressive how we do bless them. So the leadership team went down there. We're talking to their supernatural school on Friday, talking to their leaders on Saturday, yesterday morning. Um, Pete and Kim, and, and I spoke to Jan this morning, and uh, she's bleary-eyed because she's up till two in the morning, just sort of pumping her with questions and drawing all the, the good stuff out. And, and Jan's comment was, as you go somewhere else and then you reflect back on, on home, you are amazing. Hope Church is amazing. And it's just great that they can go and they can impart and they can be with what is a great church, but they can come back thinking, wow, you, you, you are amazing. And I was really just pleased to hear that because I was thinking, you are amazing. And so same word there. And we, we sort of, I don't know what that happens to you when someone says you're amazing. Is that just one of these sort of phrases that flies by and you just think, you know, what does it really mean? But if you just think about it, we, we are amazing. And just even as individuals, what God has created us to be. I'm, I'm a doctor and I see how people come with their illnesses. And people, when you've got a sickness or a bug or what have you, you think about what's not, what's not going well, what's, what's in pain, what's weak, what's, what's suffering at that point. But as a doctor, and I think, you know, it's amazing that we don't get ill more often. And, uh, you know, our bodies really are quite amazing. We, we fight so many bugs. And you see little toddlers, and they're getting all the bugs that are going. And then as time goes by, you know, you build up your immunity. And I'm going to go off on a, a medical tangent here. But our bodies are amazing. And, and even if you think about technology and what we're able to do and produce, you know, we've got all these electric gadgets and gizmos now. Um, we, we, we've done a lot of stuff. 
But that's only a tiny bit of how amazing we are. We are God's creation. And what's even more amazing is to think the fact that each one of us is a new creation. And I was just reflecting that in Romans 8, it says that all of creation has been waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Just think about that a minute. That means that everything on this planet is held in subjection, the Bible calls it. It's being sort of constrained and not allowed to be free to be what it was originally intended to be before the fall because God's waiting to reveal his kids. He's wanting to show off how great and how amazing we are. So, so yeah, so that's just part of, you know, as I just thought of coming up here, it's a great privilege to be a leader in this family um, and to think about that. But I really wanted to sort of go on from that. If someone says you're amazing, what do you do? Does that sort of, oh, don't, you know, is that a bit of a, you know, <laughs> sorry, it was a bit camp there, wasn't it, really? <laughs> Ooh, yeah. um, so, uh, you know, do you dismiss it, was my point. Um, do you sort of, you know, are you becoming Teflon-coated? Are you one of these who, what's he after? Why is he complimenting me? Why, why is he sort of saying something nice? Or clearly this is a preacher's, you know, warm the crowd up a bit, tell them something good so they're sort of on, on your side to begin with. So do you have the Teflon, slightly cynical approach um, to, to what's happening and all, you know, looks good on the outside, but on the inside nothing sticks? Or does it instantly hit all your doubts and disbeliefs? Well, some people here are amazing, but clearly it's not me. And, and you've got all of your, you know, internal insecurities that just don't let any, any good compliments stick uh, and we all have learned how to put on the mask, haven't we? And, uh, and how to, to put on a good show. Um, or do you embrace the truth? Do you think, thank you, Father. You have done some good stuff in me. And yes, there's more to do. But what you've done so far really is, is a pretty good job. Um, and there's a reason why we all struggle with this. And that's largely what I want to look at today. Our identity is so important. How we see ourselves and how we allow others to see us really is so important, and having that declaration there, even about the identity of the church, there's, there's so much that's tied in about how we see ourselves and therefore how others see us. Um, I, I so remember many stories along my years of reading through the Bible, and one of them was when the spies went in to the promised lands. So they'd crossed the Red Sea, and they're about to enter in. God had spoken great words. He'd taken them out of slavery in Egypt, and he said, I've got a great place for you to stay. So God himself, who'd led them, pillar of fire and all that, parting the sea, um, God had said, this is a great place to go into. But they sent in some spies, and the spies came back, and of the 12 spies, 10 of them came back with a negative report. And, and this is a sort of summary of their negative report. We were like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and so we seemed in their sight. And that negative view, how they saw themselves, and then that rumor that spread about, oh, yeah, no, no, we can't go in, there's giants there. Um, suddenly the whole people became unable to believe. God had spoken, God had promised, um, but they became unable to believe because of their negative mindset. They were easily intimidated. They shied away from the challenge. And that can be true for us. If we think less of ourselves, then we do avoid the unfamiliar. We avoid the unpredictable. They we're much less likely to step out. And so we believe that identity is hugely important, and there's lots of great teaching. Andy particularly does um, a great talk on identity and, and what actually our identity look, looks like. And really, I'm going to assume that we are, we've taken for granted that our identity 
is important, and I'm going to look at some of the things that can attack that. And part of the reason why I'm so passionate about this is that one of my most significant encounters with God was um, three and a half, nearly four years ago now, just in the summer, just before I got set in as an elder. And Andy and I are privileged to go and visit Bethel Church and really thought, these guys seem to have got something. We want to see how they run church and see what keys we can pick out. So you can imagine... I'm going as a sort of fairly new guy in, in the scene here and going along with Andy, who's the, the main man and, you know, a real charismatic leader. And we're different, aren't we? We're sort of not quite the same. I don't know if you've noticed or spotted anything, <laughs> anything like that, you know, but uh, we really are quite different. And when you're there in a place where everything's new to you and you're thrust into a situation that's not familiar, suddenly, certainly for me, all my fears and insecurities um, start to come to the fore and you realize that, uh, hmm, yes, there's uh, some questions here. And we're going through that and it was great. There's lots of teaching, but they were very good in giving us a morning just to have time set aside to encounter God. And we're sat in this place. And basically, you're just stuck in a room and sat there. There's, there's nowhere to go. And uh, they've got the lights dimmed and quiet music on. And, you know, if God doesn't show up, it's a fairly dull two and a half hours, you know. So, uh, you know, you can't sort of put the kettle on. You can, there's just nothing else you can do. So I was there and uh, just thinking and just start reflecting and actually just making yourself do that if you're not familiar with encountering God. is quite a good thing just to not allow yourself, you know, out of the room. Don't suddenly need the loo or get a cup of tea or what have you. Just make yourself sit and, and just, if you give God that space, he will speak to you. And lo and behold, um, God was speaking to me and I suddenly realized I had a big question that had been bubbling away but a bit under the surface all through this week. And the question was, is it okay to be me? Is it okay to look like I look and not like Andy looks? Is it okay for me to think and speak and feel like I do? Or do I have to be, and especially in the context of about to become an elder in a church, ooh, elders, they do this and they say that and they're, they're preaching every week and you know, they're always around visiting people and suddenly all of my expectations of what an elder should look like and to be honest, what everyone else's expectations of an elder should look like were crowding in and would I match up to this? And there's all of these sort of you know, questions going around. But actually the biggest question was, is it okay to be me? Because if I couldn't be me... I don't think I could do this. I couldn't do this with any honesty and integrity. Putting on a, a show is just not going to work. And so that question came out, really, to be honest, with a big sob and a big, you know, it was a, an anguished cry. But, you know, instant response from, from Dad was just, yes, it is okay to be you. And I've been unpacking what that, what that encounter sort of gave me permission to do ever since then. Um, and it really is permission that God gave me then. It was almost like I felt constrained before, that somehow the me was a fairly domesticated, a fairly, you know, constrained and tied in sort of, uh, sort of me, and not really, um, yeah, boxed in was a word there, not really free to pursue dreams, not really free to explore opportunities, not really free to do stuff that other people wouldn't necessarily do. And, and so I really felt permission then that there was something unique and individual that God was, had made me to breed, brought me onto the planet for, and would give me opportunity to do. And so that's really what I think identity is as we pursue what are we, what are we here for. It comes with a whole huge permission that you are free to be you, the glorious, amazing, 
fantastic you that you are without all of these negatives. And so we all live under decades worth very often of other people's negative views of us and other people's negative words. Um, and it has affected us. So today I'm going to look at some attacks on identity and basically what can we do about that. Um, and I always worry when I come to think about negatives because I think the devil gets way too much you know, time and attention and I don't want to give him really any credit for anything. Anything that he, ha- he has done has just been because God's allowed it. So we've always got to keep that in context. But we do have an enemy and he does have a plan. It says in Ephesians 6 that chapter, um, last chapter where it's talking about the armor of God. Um, and it says the devil is, um, has schemes and um, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, against the rulers of, and authorities and the cosmic powers against the present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we are facing a battle, but we've got to recognize which side we are already on. We are on the winning side. King Jesus has defeated every enemy. Okay, so I think it'd be good to read a scripture verse. Um, you turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter 5, and we're going to read from 6 to 9. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 5, 6 to 9. So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's just great to know that, isn't it? Be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing all the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I found that such an encouraging but also an instructing few verses there. And very clear, we don't battle with the devil. We don't sort of, you know, suddenly start getting all jumping up and down and shouting. Just resist him. Just, you know, no. Um, firm in your faith. Um, it's that great story about Smith Wigglesworth woke up in the, in the night and saw a demon at the bottom of his bed. Oh, it's just you. Rolled over and went back to sleep. You know, we can definitely give the devil too much time and attention. Casting all your anxieties from him. And, and I think it's honest and real to say that there are anxieties. Stuff comes and it does worry us. That's okay. You know, we're not saying you've got to pretend not to have these things. But don't hold on to them. Give them to God. But I'm going to concentrate on these, this verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. So do be smart and think and, and look out for stuff. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And I find this picture so, many, so helpful, and it's good when you look at Scripture to sort of stop and pause, especially familiar passages. We could say, yeah, yeah, you know, read it, move on. But it's good sometimes just to dwell on it and let it sink in and see what actually is in there. And especially if you can put yourself in that sentence or scenario, if you can say, okay, well, what do I do in this? Um, and also just think about the words. So here we have, the devil is like a roaring lion. Is he a lion? No. Who's the lion? 
Jesus. So the devil is the ultimate, the great pretender, and he wants to convince us that he's somehow co-equal, somehow of equal standing, that this, like you see in the films, there's good and there's evil, and oh, is it going to be evil winning a bit and then good winning a bit? You know, absolute rubbish. You know, evil and is just sort of, it is in fact history, um, and the devil would try and convince us otherwise, but all he's got is a roar. And it is quite a roar. I don't know if you've heard a lion actually roar. Has anyone heard a lion roar? Neil, yeah, Johnny. So a few people have heard lions roar. It really is, you know, it is intimidating. You don't want to hang around <laughs> when a lion roars. So if all you've seen is the sort of MGM version, it looks a bit like a sort of loud pussycat, you know, a roaring lion is a lot more, if you're at a zoo, you really are not yet convinced that those bars are going to keep the lion back. Um, it's quite intimidating. So the devil can roar, but he's not a lion. Okay? Um, and really, it's just good to remember that all the devil can do is he can intimidate. He can shout loudly, and if you give him attention, it can be quite scary. Okay? So I want to look at three scriptures, three areas in the Bible that I'm aware of, which are interactions between the devil and man. One of them is a bit of the cheat because it's the interaction between devil and God about a man, but I'm squeezing it in anyway. So Adam and Eve, I'm going to read some verses from Genesis chapter 3, 1 to 5. I'm just listening to this. Now the servant was more crafty than any other beast of the field that God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, the first mistake is talking back and giving many attention. The woman said to the serpent, we may, may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the true tree that's in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So here we have the devil directly attacking God's identity. He really is saying that you cannot trust him. He's holding back on you. He's withholding something that you should have as a right. Um, and the accusation was that not only was God withholding a blessing, but actually he was, he was lying to them. He was telling an untruth. And it's amazing how often the best lies come with a bit of truth that he said, did say that your eyes will be opened, and that bit was true. Um, and that, that's one of the challenges when looking to see what sorts of lies, often a bit of the truth in there. And it really was that issue that the devil's accusation caused them to doubt God's goodness and his heart towards them and his willing to help and step into situations. And that can be true for us, that we can hear things that cause us to doubt, hear things that cause us to question, will God really? Um, did God say? And having doubts... And, and caused that questioning, they then went on to make wrong choices. I do like that story, though, because we do have choices, and that's the, the real thing about when we need to know what is our identity and what's God's identity, because we're always faced with choices, and sometimes you come across stuff, and you think, I could do this, and I could do that. And actually, um, I was talking to Andy Fulton the other day, and it's, it's quite a, a revelation that we do have genuine choices, and it's not always the sort of good and evil choice. It's not always, you know, this is good, that's bad. You know, sometimes the choices 
are very subtle. And, you know, God says you actually do have a choice. Um, and it's amazing how much choice we do have. But when you have choices, it gets harder, actually. If you have rules, then you just follow rules. You don't need to think. But God is giving us choice and bringing us into freedom. Um, and that means we do have to think a bit more. Okay. So the first attack is on God's identity. Did, did God really say? God's holding out on you. And very often we face that negative thought, that accusing voice. That something will come and it will make us question whether God's really got our interests at heart or whether he's just holding out for us. Um, so one of the solutions to that is make sure you're reading the word regularly, make sure you're just listening to scripture um, and asking God to speak to you. And the more you're aware of God telling you what he's like, the easier it is to spot the lies. Okay, next encounter, if you like, um, of the devil attacking was Jesus in the wilderness. And I'm reading from Matthew 316 to 4, chapter 4, verse 4. Um, again, I'll just read this for you. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And it's important to remember that Jesus had laid down his godliness and became a man. And so all that we read of in Scripture about Jesus' life, it was the life he lived as a man empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's so encouraging because that gives us an example to follow that we too can do what Jesus did as men empowered by the Holy Spirit. So he was, after 40 days, I'm sure he was seriously hungry. Um, and that was, all of these temptations were real temptations. It wasn't just going through the formality. I think that was something that Jesus had to consciously you know, remind himself of. But really the attack was just after he'd been baptized, just after he'd come up from from the water and God spoke you are my son and then the temptation and then the devil came and said if you are so it's a direct challenge on Jesus's identity as to what had God said about him um, <coughs> and really one of the best ways of preventing that becomes something that you suffer from is to have regular encounters if you just give yourself opportunity to hear God whisper I love you regular times when you can just have that assurance from Father uh, of his love towards you, then that's the best way of encountering all these negative lies about, um, about your own identity. So the third encounter, just to give us a background to what I'm talking about, is the encounter of Job. I don't know how many of you read the book of Job. It's, uh, I, I like it really because it's good at the beginning and it's good at the end. And you get all those rubbish friends in the middle. And you think, guys, what were you doing? Um, so it is a bit of a sort of slog getting through the middle bit. Um, but it's amazing just seeing that encounter um, of, between man and God. But it starts off in quite a, an odd perspective that we don't have many, well, the only scripture that I can think of where is the devil talking to God about what's happening on the earth. So I'm going to read um, from some verses from chapter 1 and from chapter 2. So Job chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, and then I'll go on to chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. 
Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. So interesting life he leads, just wandering around. <laughs> but just sort of get a bit more of a, the, the hobo image rather than the mighty conqueror image, don't you? Um, so uh, have you, Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job, Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? Well, that's the inheritance we have as the children of God that, yes, God does. He favors and protects his own children. You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased on the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. So that's quite an accusation that the only reason that, God, that Job was, loved God was because of his material possessions, that because he was a rich guy who God was looking after. So basically God had bought his affections. So that's quite an accusation there. And so the tragedies happened to all of his, everything he possessed, including all his kids getting killed. In all this, Job did not sin. And then in chapter 2, the devil comes back and has another go. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? So clearly didn't make an impression much the first time. God needed to ask him a second time. Um, Satan answered, from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord, skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to his face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your hand, only spare his life. So it's an amazing book with quite some challenges in, in reading it. Um, but basically, this was an attack on man's connection with God. Was Job just loving God? Was he living a righteous life? Was he upholding his integrity and basically demonstrating um, God's goodness by, by his own life? Was he just doing that because God was blessing him? Or was there a deeper heart connection? And that's a question that you know we can all go through. Is it just because... Well, if you go to church, you, you get all your problems fixed and, you know, it can be quite a good life and you get some great friends. Are there just the sort of stuff, is that what keeps you connected or is there something deeper? And as you go through the book of Job and you get to those last chapters where basically Job's got all these complaints mounting as the book goes on and then suddenly God says, who is this who darkens my counsel without knowledge? And there's that massive revelation that Job has that, God, you are utterly amazing, way more powerful, significant, and, and good than he'd ever realized before. So it's the book produces, and the suffering in that produces, produces a much greater and deeper knowledge of God and a much stronger connection. And it's important to see that that's the purpose of the book of Job. It's easy to wrongly assume that suffering is caused by God and suffering is there that, at God's instigation. Um, and we've got to be very careful around that. 
Um, it really is just an attack on the connection that we have. So round one, he took away Job's stuff. Round two, he attacked him as an individual. Um, and what happens to us when our stuff gets damaged or nicked or we start to suffer as a person? What is our response um, is, the, is the key to reflecting on that. So each of these attacks came as an accusation. Each of these attacks started and took place in the area of the mind, in the area of the thinking. Attack on identity, God's identity. Did, did God really say, um, you will not die? Um, Jesus, our own identity, if you are, then prove it. Do something amazing was what the devil was saying to Jesus. You know, jump off the, the temple, turn stone into bread. Um, and even the devil tried to, Jesus at his own um, game of quoting scripture back at him. Um, but it really was... Do something to prove you are who you are. So Jesus then faced this challenge. God had spoken about his identity. You are my son. And here he was faced with a temptation to prove he was God's son. So how do we feel? Do we find that performance is the measure that we're judged on? Is it something that we do that proves we are who we are? So is it you know, how well you do something? Um, or is it just our security? So is a son a son? because of what he does, or is a son a son because he's a son? And, uh, and obviously that's, that's the truth. So we are sons whether we do anything or not. And poor old Job, even his wife joined in. Are you still holding on? She said, curse God and die. So both your wife and three of your pals come and all they do is they tell you how bad stuff is. And what they're doing is that they've made the wrong assumption that the calamities Job faced was God's judgment. It was because he'd done something wrong. And the more they pressed him on that point, the more he was reacting because he wasn't doing anything wrong. So their accusations were on a wrong basis. His response was on a wrong basis because it was about performance uh, and about how well he'd done was justifying himself. Um, and the truth came in revelation and it came in encounter. So it is just sort of checking on my notes here. Just as I was saying about reading scripture, it is amazing when you think about how bad stuff was for Job. I mean, it really, we can look at how he got it wrong and he was complaining about God in the end. But imagine yourself in that situation. He had loads of kids. Every single one of them was killed. Loads of, he'd been a generous man. He'd given loads of stuff. He looked after people. He was there for people. He really had done the best in his revelation and his understanding as to what he should do. And what all that produced was this confusion. And he then, as I said, there's always choices. He faced a choice. His wife and his friends were saying, you know, his wife said, curse God and die. And he faced that real choice, which basically is, do I stay or do I go? Does he curse God and die and just give up on all this? Does he say, you know, must have got it wrong? You know, they're right. And he faced that real pain of a choice, that pain of separation. Should he just walk away and hope that the distance would make the pain get less? And that's a choice that we often face, isn't it? Do we think that this is just too hard? You know, Job had a lot of suffering, and we can have times when there's a lot of suffering. And is it just too hard? And that little voice will come in, just walk away, just walk away. And the lie with that is that the pain will get less if you walk away, but it doesn't. It stays with you. So should he walk away or should he stay? Should he press in? Should he hang around long enough until God spoke, just like me in that encounter room? Do you stick around long enough until God speaks, and hopefully you remain close enough until God brings an answer. 
So, summary so far. Identity is very important. Okay? It determines how we respond to situations, to challenges. It determines what we allow ourselves, give ourselves permission to reach for, to dream for. And how we handle situations of challenge or um, insecurity or uncertainty. And I've also said so far that the devil is like a lion who can roar, can intimidate, and can make us want to get back in that cage, get back in the box. It was safe. Even the Israelites said, why don't we just go back to Egypt? At least we had onions in Egypt. Why they quite wanted onions in in Egypt. Um, But clearly at that point in their life, those onions looked good. Um, So, But that's what intimidation does. You see a scary situation. You see, you know... all the different challenges that they faced in the wilderness Um, and sometimes your slavery, your past, your hurt and brokenness then suddenly starts to look not as bad as it was. So, and then there's the attack on our um, our connection. Okay, so what do we do? All right, we've sort of said all this and we see how important it is, but how do we respond? And the first thing I just wanted to say is that sometimes a roar is just a roar and no matter how loud it is and how obvious it is and how intimidating it seems sometimes it is just a loud and pleasant noise noise that's ultimately insignificant and stuff happens to us and we just have to say some this this is just loud it's unpleasant it really is making life very difficult but it is just a distraction and sometimes we just have to keep going we just have to say i'm not going to give up i'm not going to melt down I'm going to do the opposite of what I feel. Sometimes you just have to say, you know, I've done all I can and I'm just going to stand going back to that Ephesians 6 chapter there. When you've put all the the armor on, it then finishes that. And having done everything, just stand. And sometimes you can't have an answer. You can't always explain. You can't always decide what to do. But God says just stand. Stand and see his salvation. And it's good to know that when you're having days like that, that's the day not to tell someone how you're feeling. Multiply the misery. Ooh, I know, I've had days like that. Oh, it's terrible, isn't it? Um, It's not the day to make decisions about your future. You know, just give up on this. It's it's not the day to go and do some retail therapy, suddenly buy something to make yourself feel a bit better. That's a quick way to to debt. Um, so, So there we go. It is a time just to spend time with God, have a good night's sleep, and uh, God in his grace will make tomorrow a better day. But just as I've said, we're facing choices. We've got to live aware that we do face lots of thoughts that come our way, and not every thought in your head is yours or God's. Sometimes there are negative thoughts that just come your way, and it might be something that someone else has said. Sometimes the devil just, just put a suggestion in your mind. And you've got to realize and test these words that, Stop and check. Don't react to stuff just because you know you're feeling a bit grumpy and someone said something negative. It's it's so easy just to be reactive, and it's always good to be much more reflective. So we do have thoughts, and they're not always good. So learn to stop and think before, and ask Holy Spirit. Say, God, what do you think about this? Just getting all this stuff coming my way. What's your perspective on this? So that's a good response as to what we do. The other thing we've got to live aware of is that God tests his word. And this really struck me. Sometimes we think that when negative stuff happens, it's a problem. It's either I've done something wrong or someone else has done something wrong. But sometimes God allows stuff to happen because he is so passionate that we learn 
how strong and dependable he is and how immeasurably strong his word to us is. So the people of Israel could have just said, no, God has said he's going to get us in and this will be our land. And they could have held on to that word, but they didn't want to test it. And, and I, I often think if we had a rope, and I was going to bring along a rope, but I didn't bring a rope. So we've got a rope here. You know, <laughs> The man in the shop said, this is an amazing rope. This rope will hold up anything. Trucks have been held suspended in midair by this rope. So the man in the shop says it's a great rope. But suddenly you're faced with a, rope, with a choice. You've got to get across a, a ravine or something like that, and all you have is this rope. And suddenly, how strong is that rope? And do you believe just because a man in the shop told you it was a great rope, or because you've swung on that rope before, and you've tested out and you've proved for yourself how strong that is? And that's what God does with us. He brings stuff our way, and he gives us words, and then he always brings a challenge for us. And do you believe? So just like Jesus faced that same challenge, he got that word from God, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. And directly, a challenge came from the word's sake. Joseph um, had those amazing promises. You know, you'll, you'll be there and your father and, and sons and everyone will bow down before you. And yet so much testing came. And I can't remember the verse, but in that story it says, testing came for the word's sake, that he went through all those trials to make him the man he needed to be that God had, was in, you know, just had destined him to be, to be the fulfillment of that word. But the testing came for the word's sake, and it's so often true. And so sometimes we have to realize this, that this isn't something to rebuke. This isn't something to, you know, say, get behind me, Satan. Sometimes God brings stuff, and it really is, do you believe? Do you believe what God said? The other thing, just to, to know about this, when stuff happens... A lot of it does come about our identity, and a lot of it is reflecting on ourselves. How well do you know yourself? How well do you know what happens on your inside when, when stuff happens? And often I've had this thought, is this faith, facts, or feelings? And when you, you, you're feeling all jumbly on the inside, it's, it's good to know, is it faith, facts, or feelings? And all of these are important. The fact that you know we've got feelings, that's how God made us, and I sort of went through my early Christian life seeing you just believe the word and it was almost like you had to deny and dismiss anything else that happened. Um, but I don't think that truly reflects heaven. Um, I think there's lots and lots of feelings and God has made us to be emotional beings. So we've got to recognize that our feelings are important. If we ignore our feelings, then you end up just becoming religious. You become quite hard. You become quite critical of other people. You're much more likely to go off track because you're ignoring what's happening on the inside that there really is some anxiety here that you've got to deal with. And you're often more likely to react inappropriately, react out of fear, or basically bite someone's head off, and uh, so you get along fine, but everyone else around you, there's carnage. Um, so don't ignore your feelings. They are part of our makeup. And the other thing is, is facts. It's always interesting with facts. The washing machine has actually broken down the whole of the you know, kitchen is actually flooded. That is a, is a fact. But it's not the only fact at play here. The other fact is God is a good God and God will provide for every, every need that you have. And we've got to learn that there are facts that are true. You know, the baby has just been sick just as you're about to get out the door and you're late already. You know, sometimes I've come across Christians and it's happened not for quite a while, praise God, but people come and they always feel like they've got to you know, deny what's really true. Well, I know God's healed me. 
Okay, so why have you come forward for prayer? Well, God's healed me, um, but I want you to pray. And, and you feel like you've got to sort of pretend that something isn't happening because isn't that what faith is? That you, you know, almost this sort of dream world that you deny reality and that's what faith is. Um, but if you ignore, sorry, if you ignore facts, then you just seem like this unreality, um, lose credibility and others would just sort of, you know, run a mile basically. They think, you know, some sort of flake that you don't want to be, be around. And you can't ignore faith either. Sometimes there are things that you just can't explain. Sometimes there are things that it is just a mystery. And, and that's okay, actually. The fact that the thought that we should be able to rationally explain everything that happens is a delusion. And I think the more we're free from that and the more we can just accept that some things you can work out, some stuff you can't. But if God said it, let's do it and, and let's go on. So don't ignore facts, faith, or feelings, but do make sure you know which one you're dealing with because if it's feelings they're good and you've got to recognize them and take account of them but if all you're going on is your feelings that's not such a strong place to be Um, facts you've got to decide are they heaven facts or earth facts and again don't ignore them but they are just facts is it faith that you're actually dealing with so be aware of these things and um, make sure you know what you're basing your choice on Another thing, just throwing out loads of stuff here, it's easy to deceive ourselves and sometimes we can just be struggling with something for so long that we actually get us, we're losing sense of reality, we're losing sense of what actually do I think about this, what actually do I, I believe here, what is God saying and you feel like you're going round and round the same circle so many times that you really seem like you're struggling and that's really when you need friends, that's really when you need just good people you can trust say, can I just talk to you about some stuff, I've been struggling with this. And am I talking rubbish? Is this off the line or is this something I've just got to keep standing on? Is this something that I'm, I'm on the right line and I've just got to hang in there? And you do need friends. You need people around you who can talk straight back to you and help you and encourage you and people who learn to discern and learn to listen. Um, and we've got to get better at discerning what is my identity, what is the real me, And not only that I learn more about me, but I learn more about you. And we start to be better at encouraging one another. And I really see the beginnings of this in in hope. But we want to grow so that we're much more active in saying the good that we see in one another. And that we are much better at pointing out the good. And the more we find ourselves learning what's good about us and also other people learning what's good about us, the, the better we'll be at getting through these challenges and situations. And then the other thing to, to say is that, as well as asking good friends, ask, ask Father, how does God see this situation? So the more we discover about our own identity, um, how God sees us, the more we discover about God's identity, um, the better we will get at negotiating life's journey. And I want us to get better at seeing others, and also, as well as speaking out the good, learning how to celebrate the good stuff in someone and not be stumbling over what they're not because as we do discern more about one another you will see my faults, uh, my faults and my pitfalls and you will see what I'm great at and what I'm not great at and that's okay it's just we've got to not concentrate on the not okay bits and we've got to learn to just celebrate the good bits and, and help one another in that and sometimes you've just got to roar back if the devil's intimidating you if the devil's shouting loud Get that praise tape on, get, you know, as a friend Ian Moorcroft says, get that crazy praise on and, uh, 
and just, you know, roar back and just declare God's goodness. Not in a fight in the devil, don't give him any more attention. Um, just declare back our praise to God. And then that atmosphere of worship, it's amazing how your perspective on things change. It's amazing how different things look when you suddenly declare God's goodness and declare his love for you and his love for others. Amen. 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 Amen.